0: Today, we have a special guest, Rosa Jones. Rosa, you're one of my favorite people because you have so much energy and it's contagious. And you have really good headshots. I try, girl. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. We're going to put a really good one up so everyone can see what I'm talking about. But Rosa Jones is a licensed professional counselor and entrepreneur. She is the owner and operator of a group practice, life coaching and consulting agency, and a parachurch organization. She has been married for 20 plus years and has two teen sons. They live in the Atlanta area. Do you also have a place in North Carolina or am I imagining that?
1: No, I don't. So my my practice is in Virginia.
0: Oh, that might be whatever.
1: Yeah. So, because when I first joined your community, I was living in Virginia where my practice was. Actually, the work that we did together literally transformed my life to the place where I was able to physically remove myself and work remote.
0: Well, that's amazing. And now I remember, I remember you telling me that that's what it was. It was Virginia and you were wanting to go to Atlanta. Yes. Yeah. 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 Yay. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about a little bit more about yourself and what you're doing now. I do
1: a lot of different things, but my group private practice that's located in Virginia, of course I'm the owner there, and I also currently still serve as the clinical director. And so like our practice is, is really a neat place. It is in Appalachian region of Virginia in the mountains and It's a place that it doesn't have a whole lot of cultural diversity. I think everybody in that area who is licensed, they either work in my practice, a person of color, (laughs) or they did residency with us or something at some point. And so it's a really unique place because we do get to serve a lot of people in an area that where they're very invisible and you can go days without seeing anyone who looks like you. And so... It just really, it happened very organically. We have a combination of interns, residents, and, you know, licensed providers. And we're really focused on inspiring both counselors and our clients to live with purpose and intention so that they can be holders of hopes and agents of change for themselves, for their families and their communities. And especially in a field where burnout is just rampant. I mean, give it a year, you'll burn out. and. Um, <laughs> We're really, you know, trying to do our best and find a way to honor our counselors and support them in being their best selves so that they can in turn provide the best treatment possible to people in our communities.
0: Hi, I'm Casey and right here beside me is Kelsey. We are licensed professional counselors, mothers, entrepreneurs, oh, and besties. We know firsthand what it's like to wake up one day and think, how in the heck did I wind up here?
2: Through our own journeys of self-discovery, we found that joy is something that has to be pursued through internal work. Now we are on a mission to help women from all walks of life understand themselves more so they can have real, lasting joy.
0: Join us every Thursday to hear fun and insightful interviews with experts who can point you toward self-discovery and fulfillment. I just love it, and when I started my group practice diversity was it was hard like you said there's just not a lot of it uh (laughs) where I am and I'm in south central Kentucky in a really small little town and Kelsey has some experience because you know her and her best friend faced a lot I'm sure of yeah how would you how would you describe that
2: well it's actually interesting because I come into Casey's company and when I walked in I was like oh no I'm the only one You know, I was nervous. It it, like made me very nervous because I felt so different. And now we look around and we see like all the differences and I love it because nobody's the same. It feels like everybody has something to contribute and offer and it's great. It's wonderful.
0: Yeah, that was really important to me was to have this very diverse practice. With people with different religions, different beliefs, different yes. ethnicities, just all of that. I loved it. And there just wasn't a lot of people other than people that look just like me. And it, it's been really great to expand to larger cities like Louisville is our newest location. And I think, I mean, the majority of our staff there are people of color and we have a good, solid LGBTQ IA plus all the all the things up there, it's just, it just makes me so happy to walk into a room and know that we're all so different, but we're all so like. Yes. And just
1: mirroring what the community needs. Sometimes we can't always see who is there and what the needs are. So kudos to you all for being able to expand out and provide those types of opportunities to clinicians from diverse backgrounds, but then also people in the communities as well.
0: Yeah, it's great. Well, I mean, I've always kind of been watching what you're doing from afar. And whenever we were talking about the topics for our podcast, over-functioning and all of the things came up, (laughs) like I'm feeling it right now. And you were definitely one of the, the people on my list to speak to. In your bio, you listed several things that you're involved in you know just your practice being an entrepreneur life coaching consulting your church organizations and all of these things what does over functioning mean to you
1: for me over functioning i am over functioning when i am working far beyond my own capacity and not respecting my limits I think that's what it looks like for me in a nutshell. And there can be a lot of that that is entangled with the way that I choose to function in my relationships. (laughs) But I think at the end of the day, it's just me being beyond my capacity and just doing way much more than my time schedule allows, my financial resources allows, or even just my energy level.
0: Yeah. When you find yourself in that over functioning space, when you're pushed beyond your personal level of capacity or capacity for whatever, what are you telling yourself in those moments? Like, do you have what is that inner voice saying?
1: Oh, that is so good. I have learned to tell myself this is how I talk to myself. Girl, you know, <laughs> you need to it. You are doing the most. Stop it. <laughs> and because of my my personality and the way that I'm wired, the other thing that I tell myself consistently is that doing more isn't going to make me a better person Mm -hmm. or more valuable. Girl, you could just stop. Like your worth is already settled. Why don't you cut that out?
0: Listen, I'm going to just go out on a limb here and guess that Kelsey's burning question right now is what's your astrological sign? That is one of my questions. Yes. Or
1: I thought you were going to say Enneagram, but I'm with you, girl. you can
0: guess that one too. I'm not, I, I've i only
2: been on this podcast for what now? Eight minutes. Okay, we'll I, let you guess. Soon. We'll
0: let you guess toward the end. So that, okay. that's how we'll okay. close it out. We'll guess. So I'm wondering we've kind of noticed this theme of whether it's conflict, whether it's over functioning type of behavior, attachment style. So we've noticed this pattern in all of our conversations about how what we're doing now is connected back to our childhood experiences. Yes. And so I'm wondering like based on some of the things. Do you want to say it? Yes, Hello. you took my question. Okay, Brian, go ahead. Okay, okay.
2: Go ahead. Well, I'm curious, did that show up when you were younger? Like how how early did the overfunctioning start?
1: Oh god. So I am I am a child of a, a somebody who was in su- a substance abuser, right? God rest his soul. So it showed up from the very beginning. It showed up as a young child watching my mother over function, you know, overwork, oversupport, be overly responsible for someone who was living in f- full blown addiction and in and out of cycles of recovery and so I mean, it started very young. I mean, I have memories back to three years old that gets planted and rooted in your psyche and your body and your emotions as like, this is what you do as a part of a family. This is, this is what you do to take care of each other that, you know, it wasn't until I was somewhere in my twenties was like, Oh my gosh, that was so messed up. <laughs> that was messed up and that wasn't healthy and it wasn't normal, but I had no idea. And I, and I think it's definitely very prevalent for people who come out of households where there is you know substance abuse and there's codependent relationships but i think that we all in our culture in many different ways there it, some ways it's subtle it it shows up everywhere all the time especially as a, a woman you know and i'm in my 40s You know, there are things that I think were happening around, you know, family and marriage and things of that nature during my childhood that kind of existed as a part of structures that also reinforce the maladaptive behaviors, if you will.
0: Yeah. I knew you were going to say that, didn't you? Yeah. 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 Addiction. Yeah. We've, I mean, we've, we've found so many patterns in our conversations. I'm curious for you, for me, and I'm sure Kelsey is, is different, but my over functioning was very similar to you. Like, I had a very over functioning mother because she had no other choice. <laughs> you know, yeah. I had to depend on her and she knew that. And she was not, we were poor, but she wasn't going to ever let me know that we were poor. But, you know, I caught myself as I started businesses telling myself things like, you have to do this because you have to prove them wrong and I'm just things like that. So I'm just wondering, especially coming from where you're at in Virginia and like all of these things, is there just this drive to show people and like become that voice of other women and just prove them wrong.
1: Does that ever come up? Not so much, but I that does resonate with me in a different way. The one that drives me is it's really about like, taking care of people like it is your responsibility to take care of these people. I mean, the clients, my colleagues, the people who work for me and I have found that I have to watch it because it shows up in ways that are not consistent with the direction that the business is going. It shows up in ways to where it has, you know, there've been times where I end up giving the business a short end of the stick because it's like, you take care of everyone, you take care of everything, you're responsible. If this goes wrong, it's on you.
2: yeah, that seems like a lot of pressure like a lot oh, of God.
1: pressure. Oh gosh, yes. but that, like you said, Casey, that was my mom. She had divorce after ten years of staying home, she had four children, she moved to a community four hours away, went back to college full time, and took care of us went to school and then worked, and so I mean it was just like not providing for other people was not an option and that and even to her detriment, I mean there were times where you know she would buy us new clothes and shoes, and she just didn't look that great well, you know?
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's what I was thinking when you were when you were talking. I was like, and then you get what's left, so you you right. take care of everything else, and then whatever's left then and there you yes. are. Yeah. Well, and then you mentioned that that has to be a lot of pressure. Do you think that you have channeled that pressure to care for people into, like, does that become over over functioning? Like, do you are you telling yourself I got to take care of these people, and that's kind of what keeps you going?
1: Um, I think it can drive it. You know, but I have had to do a lot of work around, you know, just my own counselor. I got like a coach, a counselor. I have a spiritual mentoring guy. I got the whole thing. Yeah. Like people just like, oh, you know, you, I'm sure you hear this, Casey, because I'm like starting this conversation. I'm like, you've changed my life. You know, <laughs> you know, people are just like, you're so awesome. And it's like, yeah, and I'm also messed up. And <laughs> a lot of stuff that I have to work through. You know, I'm no different than anybody. But yeah, I do do have to stay very aware of when that is showing up and how, you know, there was a time in my season, a season in my life where that's what I had to do. It was how I survived. And it did support me then, but it doesn't support me now. So I have to, I consistently, and that's the other thing that I stay in my head about. It's like, is the choice that I'm making supporting me in the life that I want to live now? And cognitively, I mean, I'm smart. I know the answer is no. So it's like, girl, we need to get back on it. Like, you know, backing away from this, <laughs> you know, this isn't your best self. That's, that's that old Rosa.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think that self-awareness is key. And if you would have asked me some of these questions back in 2015, when I first, when I started my first business, I would answer them completely different because I would have literally done anything to make money, to be successful, you know, it didn't matter. It, it really didn't matter. I would do it. If I had to, you know, stay up for seven days straight and run a marathon, I'm done. Da- I'm da- it. Yeah. And now I think just having that self-awareness of when I am over-functioning and what that does to me long-term, I, I can make a better decision of, yes, I'm going to invest my time in that or, mm, yeah, I could make money doing that, but it's not really something that's going to satisfy me.
1: That's so good. And so then the, I love that, the the decisions, we get to make decisions from this place of like our most authentic self and decisions from a place of like our values yeah. and like our commitment to like what we're supposed to be doing here in the world. And then all of a sudden it becomes okay to say no.
0: Well, yeah. And we're not in that survival mode anymore either. So it, it's different because then we can do more of what feeds us internally and less of what we need to live externally, you know, in the world. Yeah.
1: And I think for me too, it's also remembering like just in the same way that I'm growing and changing, you know, other people are too. And the same way that I have a process, so do the counselors that I lead and I'm training and so do my clients. And so I also have to be careful because one of the, the reminders is walking through that process for me was really hard but it actually is a part of the reason why I am who I am now and the reason why I am where I am.
0: Are you tired of running to the lobby to see if your next appointment has arrived? Would you like a more discreet, stress-free way for your clients to check in? Take a deep breath. The Receptionist for iPad empowers your practice to create a Zen-like check-in experience. This episode is sponsored by The Receptionist for iPad. It's the highest-rated digital check-in software for therapy and behavioral health offices used by thousands of practitioners across the country. The Receptionist for iPad is a simple and expensive way to allow your clients to discreetly check-in, to notify providers of a patient's arrival, and to ensure your front lobby is stress-free. The software sends an immediate notification to the therapist when a client checks in and can even ask if any patient information has changed since their last visit. Start a 14-day free trial of The Receptionist for iPad by going to thereceptionist.com slash besties. And when you do, you'll also get your first month free when you sign up.
1: And if I am always stepping in, saving and rescuing people, they'll miss their process. How do you become? Like I've already, be- you know, I'm, I'm becoming this is my journey. They've got theirs. And so just really being able to like do a better job making this distinction is like, when is it that I'm being helpful? Cause I'm a great problem solver, but if I'm being helpful in ways that like blocks your growth and development, that's not okay.
2: That sounds like somebody else. I know huh. <laughs> this one over here,
0: but it's hard to me. Sometimes it's hard to watch people suffer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's what also makes you a good entrepreneur. And it's also what makes you a good leader and if you ask any of my staff about that <laughs> they would be they would just drop their head and be like oh i hate her there are situations where i sit back and watch them suffer through a problem because yeah. i could easily just say here's what you do to fix it but i need them to figure it out on their own so that right. happens again they won't need me yeah, there's a lot of intention behind I've learned that there's a lot of intention with everything
2: you do and how you I'm like, why won't you just give them the answer? Like this is painful to watch. And she's like, Nope,
0: I'm not doing it. Yeah, she cannot sit in a meeting. Like if if she if we're having a like a an admin meeting or something and Kelsey walks down the hall and she knows what we're doing, I can just see her <laughs> confliction because she's so nosy and she wants to watch it. She knows it's gonna be something, but then she knows like she really shouldn't but she always does anyway. And then she sits there so uncomfortable and Well, because nervous. I know,
2: like, I, I have a very close bond with everyone, but then I also know you and I know what you're looking for. And they're like, I yeah. don't
1: know. And I'm like, don't say, I don't know. Like, this is going to be bad. <laughs> it's a whole tension, right? Yeah. It's intentional. And it's just discomfort. That's all it is. And so, you know, you know, I do, I test myself and it's like, okay, Let me build my distress tolerance. Okay. You know, like if I can get through this, you know, eventually. And I think the really cool part is when you start seeing those people change and grow. And not only that, but the other leaders that you have on your team. And I mean, watching them duplicate the behaviors as well and get positive results. It's like, I just, I can't. It's just like, remember girl, it's worth it.
0: And like, I really think not to be on this like childhood bandwagon but that's how like that's the one of the things that I was raised with was to be super independent my mom did not do things for me that I could do for myself she did not do it and if she would have done that I would not be who I am right now and so I think it all kind of feeds into attachment in a lot of ways too because I parent that way with my own children and you know you can ask Kelsey cuz she's watched it like that I do not do things for them That they can do for themselves because I want them, because I watch them do things for the first time and feel so good and confident. And it's like, I want them to feel that because I know at the end of the day, if they become an adult and they are self-assured and that they're like, okay, I don't have anyone here to do this for me. I'm just going to figure it out on my own. Then I've done my job. Yeah. So I think that's just who I am as a person.
1: But here's the flip side of it too because I've got two boys and I'm like, God knew what he was doing when he just gave me boys. Cause I'm just, sometimes I feel like I'm a dude, like just the way that I think and I communicate. So it works out lovely here, but the flip side of it, I love that case because I felt, you know, the same way I was super independent. I mean, I got myself in college and to college and figured out all the stuff and to graduate school and moved myself, all the things. And while it does help you to become this person who is confident. It's funny, my my son, he's 12, and his friend were walking behind me downtown yesterday and I heard them talking. And the boy was like to him, like, You're confident. He's <laughs> like, Yeah, I gave that over my mom, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but the flip side of it is that it can be difficult, like for me, and this is a part of the the healing that's come as I've become more self-aware and come out of the overfunction behavior it can be really difficult for me and people who are always doing all the things for all the people sometimes to receive help. Oh yeah, It can be difficult, not just receive help, but to ask for help. And not only that, and not just from other people, but even for yourself, from yourself and to yourself. Like that part is is really hard for me. And I think the thing that shook me, I had this girl, she was really young. She was an intern and I think she was, we had to be like 23 or something. So we were having this team builder and we had talked about like our, uh, something about like our own strengths and then some of the challenges and then, you know, letting somebody else assess us. And then we all kind of went in our own little corners and kind of shared. And man, what she said to me, she said, you know, I, she's like, respectfully, one of your weaknesses is that whenever I'd notice whenever people offer to help you, you consistently decline. And she said, Every single time I notice that when I offer to help you or other people on our team offer to help you, you always kind of brush it off and move off really quickly. And you're like, I've got it. I've got it. I've got it. And she says, I really worry about how much you're carrying. And it actually hurts me to know that I could help, but you won't allow me to.
2: What was that like hearing that?
1: It, it was like somebody had shot like a bullet in my chest like a bullet was lodged in my chest because, and and it makes me emotional just saying that out loud because man, that is so hypocritical, you know? I mean, and that was like, maybe it was when I first started my practice so about six years ago and it, it really rocked me to my core. And, it, and it, it started this, like me on this journey of just really questioning, like, what is that really about? Because she was right. And I started watching myself and I would catch myself telling people no. And they'd be like, you know what? Actually, it would be great if you rode with me to the store to pick up these drinks and help me carry them back inside, even though I could get a couple carrier, you know, yeah. <laughs> but it was very humbling. It was very humbling.
0: What's that called when you, cause I used to do the exact same thing and I still can get really stubborn like that, but there was definitely a shift for me in, in terms of over-functioning When I, I was just starting to get burnt out on not just work, but just like life. Like I just got to this point where I was just like, I don't care. I really just don't even care. So it's like radical something like where I just was like, okay, you know, anyone that wants to help me, you're going to help me. I'm not going to say no to Like
1: radical acceptance, radical acceptance.
0: Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it totally changed me because I don't have trouble now. I'm like, okay, I need you to help me do this. I need you to help me do this. It really shifted. And I think for me, it was really just about control and not in the way that a lot of people think about control, but I just had all of these internal beliefs that me letting people help, it wouldn't be the same. Like the outcomes of my business would be different. It would affect the image. It would all of these things that were irrational. And I've learned that now that since I have done that, I can actually make such more of an impact by receiving help. And I'm much happier as a person.
1: Yeah, it, right. So it's a win-win, but it, it is, it can be a mental roadblock, you know, to get through. And I'm a, consider myself to be a a recovering enabler. So, and I tell people that, I mean, uh, most of the people that I work with, you know, they are enablers. <laughs> Or recovering enablers. And yeah, you know, I definitely understand, you know, kind of what it is that you're talking about. And like, and, and I just, you just can't be a good leader without being able to receive what it is that you give. Because for me, like service is a huge piece and it, it drives a lot of what it is that I do. But at the same time, I also have to be able to receive. And one of the things that I've learned along the way is that my ability to receive help and support and love is tied to actually the reality of what I think about myself and my own value and my own worth, because it's not enough just for me to value other people and to like hold them in high esteem and do all the things for them and make sure they get all their needs met. I think some of us we would not make the correlation between refusing to care for yourself, refusing to set your own limits, or refusing to accept help, that's actually correlated to low self-esteem because it's it's correlated to a low self-worth. And so that's enough, uh, Chelsea, it's stuck in my head. Like what are the things that you go around telling yourself? <laughs> that was such a good question. One of it is like, girl, you are worthy. Like, you know, I don't I don't I wouldn't like walk around here me and like, I have low self-esteem and, but I'm, I'm like, well, don't act like it. People who have high self-esteem, they actually value themselves and they respect themselves. Like even there, you don't have to be sliding down a pole to disrespect yourself. You can disrespect, sorry, I, I'm, I can be a little something. You can disrespect yourself by when you get tired, pushing yourself to work harder instead of stopping. That's disrespectful to yourself.
2: I think, too, self-esteem, a lot of times people are like, I love who I see in the mirror. This is great. But then when they create this awareness around it, so I was actually talking to Casey about this. Like, It's like they'll come in and they'll say, my self-esteem is great. And then you add awareness to it and they're like, wait a minute. And it's like they see it. They They don't have their self-worth. That's what they want to work on. And so then they're like, yes. Yeah, my self-esteem's like a 10. Like, I need to work on that.
1: Right. Very few people will come in. I mean, you've got some, but I would say very few high achieving people, they're not going to make the connection. They're not going to come and be like, you know what? I actually need to work on myself work. I don't, I just don't feel worthy. But you know, when you really it's not even just listening, but to watch you watch what we do. Yeah. And there really is on some level a disregard for how it is that we're wired and created and a disrespect for that. And at the end of the day, it's like, unless you start seeing yourself as worthy and valuable and enough, it's hard for the behaviors to change because like you were saying, you're just in survival mode and you're trying to protect something that it doesn't need protecting You word.
2: Can you tell Rosa and the listeners about your experience with that question? Oh Yeah. Yeah, that's very similar.
0: Yeah, I was just, you know, I was thinking about that whenever you were talking. And <laughs> so a couple of years ago, when I started uh, going through a divorce and basically this should have hit the fan in my life and <laughs> as they usually do in a divorce. And one of the last things he said to me was, you need therapy, you know, like that's a bad thing or whatever. more I thought about it, I was like, yep, probably do. So I started going to see a therapist on the website, on her website, she branded herself as this therapist that specializes in professional women going through a divorce. And I was like, oh, that's specific. And so of course I saw that and I was like, okay, that's, that's who I'm going to go see. And our very first session, we didn't even get past like the three minute mark. I don't think, and I write about this whole story in the book that I'm working on, but she says, okay, so let's get started. Um, on a scale from one to 10, how much do you love yourself? And I swear to you, I sat through that whole session and thought about it. Like I didn't even talk. Cause I was thinking, I don't know what that means. And I just kept asking like, well, is that like self-esteem? Is that, and I was driving this woman crazy. Cause I did not know. That, that's how it is
1: when the therapist goes to therapy.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just didn't know. And <laughs> at, at the end of the session, I, I finally was able to come up with a number, but self-love, like, what does that even look like or feel like, or what Right. How we went down this rabbit hole of Googling, like
1: self-love quotes. And I was like, this is not it, you know, it's all about like, like how do you define that or describe that? And yeah, it, it's, it's difficult to put language around, but I, you know, I, to me, a part of it is seeing yourself as worthy, seeing yourself as valuable. I think a lot of it shows up in the way that we treat ourselves Yeah, when we mess up and when we make mistakes,
0: right? Well, and for me, a lot of it was just releasing shame and guilt and Mm -hmm. had to start there. I'd never actually forgiven myself for the things that I had done that I felt bad about. Yeah. And I just carried that around, like Kelsey was talking about earlier, like a backpack. And and then, of course, that creates this whole other set of dialogue of, well, if I can't love myself, then how, how can anyone love me? How
1: can other people love me? One of the things that I used to believe about myself is that I was a terrible friend. I'll tell my Zodiac sign after a while, but, um, I am confrontational. And so I will risk for me. Truth is important. It's a premium, especially in very intimate relationships. And so I've lost a couple along the way, but I think I made that. I made that mean that it meant that I was a bad friend and it was funny. I had a very close friend of mine, we were in a small group. And she was just talking about how I was such a, an amazing friend, and blah blah blah. And I started getting really uncomfortable. And her husband was sitting there with us too. And I was like, "Girl, I'm I'm not that good a friend. You are just putting it on a little too thick. You need to calm down." And he interrupted me, and he said, "What are you What are you talking about?" Like you're an incredible friend. Like if it wasn't for the way that you cared for and supported us in our first two years of marriage, we wouldn't still be together. I guarantee you. You're a great friend. Don't ever say that about yourself. I was like, I need to go to the bathroom. (laughs) But it was, it just like, it just just shook me. But it was one of those things that I was holding on to. It's just like, you know, I'm not really a good friend because, you know, I I get into conflict with people and.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But I think that that. Conflict is important, you know. Oh yes, uh huh. So many people need it. So, do you think you can guess her sign? No, she has she three for a little with does. the confrontation. Like okay, at first, I was
2: thinking Leo, and then I was like, Nah. And then I kind of I, I get
1: that a lot though.
0: So you even if you get it wrong, you still did good. You're warm. You I, I do give up. Are you? I'm stumped. On what this are you an aide on the enneagram? Yeah, I knew it. Okay, tell us, tell us your zodiac sign. I'm a Taurus. Mm. Okay. Confrontational. Yes. Yeah. We missed that one.
1: (laughs) I'm really sweet, like really sweet and really friendly and all that. But I got a lot of that, that one in me from the Enneagram too. I'm a huge into like justice. Like I, you know, I'm very justice oriented and I'm also an achiever. So it's sometimes not a good combination.
0: Well, that's me as well. Like I will defend the underprivileged or underserved. Yes. It does not matter if I'm going to jail, I'm going to jail.
2: It was really stumping me. I think the Zodiac, cause you guys are sounding very similar and I knew it wasn't close to her birthday. I could just tell, but then I was like questioning myself.
0: Yeah. Son I do to leave. That's
1: okay. Kelsey, what's your Enneagram? Do you know your Enneagram number?
0: Um, she hasn't taken it mm-hmm. yet. Cause I've, I've told her to, but what is yours? Mine's an eight.
1: Yeah, all day. Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) This has been amazing. Yeah, this is a great, I'm so glad that you were able to spend some time talking with us about this because it just touches so many, so many things in our lives. Yeah. Yeah. Well,
1: and thank you for talking about it. I, You know, when I saw your call for like people and uh, all the topics were good, I was like, ah, Recovering (laughs) Enabler, I will take over-functioning for 400.
0: You did great. (laughs) any last thoughts or anything
1: else i'm a little disappointed in myself that i couldn't guess zodiac but oh that's okay
0: well thank you so much rosa i hope you come back
1: you're welcome thank you both so much this was fun this was life-giving
0: today thank you thank you we'll see you soon thanks for listening if you're enjoying our podcast and would like to hear more from us leave us a review wherever you get your podcast so we can keep making great content like this